Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. Today, you're listening to episode 145, and I'm talking with Sally McRae. This episode of the show is brought to you by PrepDish. PrepDish is a healthy subscription-based meal planning service. They have gluten-free and dairy-free options, and Allison, the founder, who is the chef and also a dietitian, puts together a detailed grocery list for you so that it's very organized. You go to the grocery store, grab your groceries, prep your meals for the entire week on Sunday. You get unique and delicious healthy options every single week, things you would never think to make. I made a pumpkin smoothie last week and it was so good. Snacks are included, guys, too. Um, make sure you go check out episode 118 of this podcast where you can learn a little bit more about Allison's story. I interviewed her over here. Um, but you guys go to prepdish.com slash another, and you can try this out for two weeks free. So there's no reason not to try it out. That's prepdish.com slash another. Use the code another to try this service out for two weeks free. All right, guys, Sally McRae. I have had several requests to have Sally on the show. And let me just tell you, I want you to know that Sally and I have emails trying to schedule an interview dating back to May 2016. So we've been trying to set this up on and off for a really long time. So I'm so excited to finally bring you this episode with Sally. She is an ultra runner with a really inspiring story. She just has like this infectious, happy, positive personality, and it is the real deal. She's such a genuine person. Um, but she runs for Nike, she runs trails for Nike, and she recently did Badwater. The Badwater 135 race, the hottest foot race, the hardest foot race, they say, on the planet, I believe. Um, she did that this summer. She's placed seventh at Western States in, I think that was 2015. And she won her first international race at the Tarawara 100 this past year. So Sally's got a really strong running resume and an even stronger heart and just presence in this world. And you'll hear that in this interview. She speaks a lot of truth into my life. And I'm not kidding. I was tearing up multiple times in this episode because she's just so great. Um, she's also the mom of two and she is writing her first book. So um, though we didn't get into as much ultra running talk as I as I thought we would, we talk about a lot of other life stuff in this episode. And I'm going to have her back on because she's just so easy and fun to talk to. Before we get started talking to Sally, I want to thank Ubiome for supporting this episode. Your gut is home to trillions of microbes, about as many as the amount of human cells in your body. These microbes may affect your health in countless ways. They may help you digest food, man manufacture vitamins, improve your mood, or even fight off illness. So you've got places to be, but is your gut keeping up? You can find out with Smart Gut by Ubiome. Smart Gut is a quick and easy at-home test that helps you understand if your gut bacteria are working with you or against you by screening for microbes associated with IBS, IBD, and other chronic conditions. Sampling is quick and easy. It takes less than three minutes. And SmartGut is healthcare provider ordered and reimbursed by most health insurance. Request your SmartGut test today. Go to ubiome.com slash another. That's ubiome.com slash another. Hey guys, I want to let you know I will be in New Hampshire, Portsmouth, New Hampshire on November 9th for a live show. That's just an hour outside of Boston. I'm partnering with the Rise Run Retreat, my friend Sarah Canny from Run Far Girl, and we are doing an awesome live show with Katie Edwards, Jessica Goldman, and Deb Gardner are going to be on that panel. We are already halfway sold out on tickets, so make sure you go to riserunretreat.com to grab your ticket. I will link to the Eventbrite page in my show notes. It's going to be a really, really great, relaxing, fun weekend. There's also a half marathon, the Seaport Half Marathon, that Sunday. So the live show is Friday, and then that Sunday they're having a race weekend uh, meetup as well. 
And then just one disclaimer for this episode. There's a tiny bit of an echo every once in a while when I talk. I tried to take it out as much as I could. But just so you know, there's a tiny echo uh, in this episode of the podcast. But I don't think it'll bother you too much. If you're loving the show, I would love it if you would leave me a rating and review and make sure you're subscribed. Um, Both of those two things are really helpful ways for new listeners to potentially find the show. When you're subscribed to the show, it helps my ranking in iTunes, which is super awesome. All right, guys, I really hope you enjoy my conversation with Sally McRae. Okay, so today on the podcast, we have Sally McRae and um, Sally, our emails, how far do they date back? <laughs> I, I want to say three years. It's Almost so bad. Three years. <laughs> and it's, it's neither you or me. It's like we go it's back and forth. Kids. I blame our children. Yes, that's we, what it we're, is. We're allowed to blame our kids for <laughs> this these is things. True. Because like I'll fall off, you'll fall off, and then and so so I have this Facebook group though, and people keep recommending you, and because when they ask to join the group, they have to say who they want to hear on the show, and I keep getting Sally McRae, and I'm like, okay, just so you guys know, I swear I've been working on this before you maybe even knew who she was, okay? (laughs) Oh well, I I appreciate your perseverance and your endurance and all of this, because now we're finally making it happen, and it's gonna be. Probably an even better show than it would have been in 2016. Hands down. (laughs) It's going to be completely different. I, yes, (laughs) hands down. So did you just sign up for the North Face 50? I did. It was a very last minute, hey, why not suffer one more time? (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I, that, that, uh, that's what, November 17th. So got like five weeks out from that race. Coach and I just had a really good, uh, conversation about how to end this year and we went back and forth on a couple races I really wanted to do Havelina 100 um I just I love hundreds and I've always I've heard that race is really fun and that's what I was looking for I was like I just want to end this year just doing like a really fun race that wasn't really on my calendar and you know I don't feel like a, a ton of pressure um going into it I just want to be with the trail community and um, you know, end the 2018 year on a good note. So let's, uh, introduce everybody to you a little bit. Okay. <laughs> Sally, you have two kids. How old are your kids now? Mackenzie's 12. Okay. She's in seventh grade and Isaiah is 10. He's in fifth grade. Okay. And you live in California. Yeah. I'm in Huntington beach. I'm just like a mile from the water. <laughs> That's amazing. <Big> level. <laughs> yeah. It's a gift. I really love it here. <laughs> So talk to everybody, um, give us an intro of your life, like the rundown of when you became a runner, when you decided this was your thing. Um, just tell us a little bit about growing up, little Sally McRae. Okay. Uh, so I started running uh, just for fun. Like I kind of like discovered I was fast when I was like in first or second grade, but I like loved it. I loved being faster than the boys and um, you know, I, and I tended to play with the boys a ton, you know, if they're playing football or basketball, like I always wanted to play with the boys cause their games just look so much more fun. And so, um, you know, I, I took up running as, as kind of like, you know, I felt like I was like the fastest in the school always up until like fifth or sixth grade, you know, that's then when the boys start growing. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but I just love this idea of just, uh, of being fast and running until, you know, I felt like my lungs were going to burst. Um, I loved those feelings. My parents signed me up for like a couple 
local races when I was seven and eight and I did little 1k races and then I would do like these 50 and 100 meter sprint races on the track and I really loved that um but I think at that time there was also other sports going around me so I, I became a soccer player because I really looked up to my brother and that's what he was doing and I liked the idea of being with a team I liked the ball like it just you know when it comes down to it and for those of you that have been running for a while uh, you know, running's hard and it's painful and it, it's hard to do when you're a little kid just day in and day out. And so I was really drawn to soccer for the variety and um, having a team and I was pretty good at it too. So I kind of just rode that dream of becoming a professional soccer player. Um, I really dove into that, really dream, started dreaming of that when I was like 13 or 14 years old. But all the while, sock, um, running was just more of like a way to stay in shape. Um, uh, you know, for soccer players, you you do a lot of running. Um, you know, an average 90-minute game, you'll probably put in about five miles of running within a game. And then during high school, my coaches always had us do track and field to stay in shape in the off-season. So I was actually a sprinter in high school. I, I did the 100, 200, I did the relays, Um so it was, I, and I loved that. I, I placed really well in my league as a sprinter, um, only did it my freshman and sophomore year. And then my junior and senior year, I was playing, by that time I was playing uh, soccer just full time. But again, wasn't really focused on running. One of my best friends, Scott, uh, he was on cross country and he was a soccer player too. And he was like, Sally, you got to come out and do cross country. It'd be so fun. And I did it for one day and I hated it. I was like, <laughs> Seriously, this is so boring. Like, I love you, Scott, but like, I am all soccer right now. So, um, so I had this dream. I was going to be the first person to go to college in my family. I'm out of both sides of my family. Um, I was, you know, just from the time I was little, for whatever reason, I just really driven by goals. And so, um, you know, I come from a really big family and we didn't have a lot of uh, money growing up. And so, the opportunities weren't always there, like playing club and stuff like that. So when I got to high school, I, re I remember very vividly a couple girls coming up to me and um, telling me, like, you know, you'll you'll probably just in my face because I was one of the best ones on the team. I made the varsity team as a freshman in high school. I was the top scorer on the team. We were back to back undefeated champions, and um, and for whatever reason, because sometimes we girls like to be mean. <laughs> They just made it known that I was I was too little. I was like four foot nine when I was a freshman. I was too little, and unless I played on a club team, there was no way that I was gonna go to college. And I was really upset by that. I remember coming home and telling my mom, like, you know, this is like so frustrating because I, I do want to go to college. I want to be a great soccer player, and I, I think I am good. And you know, we can't afford to be on the club team. And um, you know, just, just really, uh, discouraged. And my mom tried to encourage me and she basically shared a story about her life that changed a lot of my life in that moment. She was making spaghetti and I sat on the counter and she said, I was an amazing dancer growing up. And she really was, she's a beautiful dancer. And, uh, when I was in a senior in high school, my best friend made fun of my costumes and I never danced again. Oh. And she just, she never had a lot of confidence growing up, but what she told me was just, you're always going to have critics. And sometimes they're going to be people that, that are your friends and maybe your teammates, but you can't ever let what people think of you or their opinions 
you know, change your dreams or who you are. You have to remember who you are and do what you love and don't ever let anyone tell that you can't do something. And no joke, within six months, uh, I don't even know how this happened, but those girls were both on a club team together. Their coach came to one of our games and said, I'll give you a scholarship to come play for us. And I ended up taking one of those girls' positions on the team <laughs> as a starter. Yeah. And I, you know, and I was the girl, I bought my cleats from the thrift store. You know, I paid with them with, for my own money. Um, I was working already two jobs by the time I was in high school. Like I was, I really had this dream and I, I was doing everything I could to make it work. And so, um, you know, a couple years later, my mom ended up, actually ended up dying from cancer. And because of that, it, it really rocked just my world. Like any college that had contacted me to go to school to play for them, I ignored everybody. And I made it just like my, uh, my decision. I was, I was actually just going to get my GED and take care of my siblings and just work. And I just threw my whole dream down the toilet. And a family friend came alongside me. It was literally a few months before I graduated from high school. And she said, Sally, if your mom knew that you did this, she would be heartbroken because you worked so hard and she encouraged you in your dreams. And so she basically held my hand. This woman, Liz, who's like a guardian mom to me. She's like an angel, but she just took me around a few local universities. And I was like, oh, I don't want to go here. I don't want to go here. And we found our way to Biola University. It's, it's in uh, La Mirada here in Southern California. It's a small private school. And I was like, I do not want to go to this school. She's like, just come, like literally dragged me there. <laughs> and we walk onto the field and the coach says, you know, I know who you are. And there's girls here that are willing to give up some of their scholarship if you'll come and play for us. And I was like, who does that? You know, like these girls work so hard. And they're willing, they don't know me and they're willing to give up their, you know, their scholarship money so that I'll come and play. And so, um, you know, that those very specific events that I just shared with you, that conversation with my mom, um, you know, being, you know, pushed around by, by teammates telling me that I couldn't do something and then making the team and then losing my mom, who is my greatest encourager, and then going to a school that I had not dreamed of that I didn't want to go to. Um, those things really started just to shape the way that I looked at sports and why, why it was that I was doing what I was doing. So I went through high school, uh, through college, and I, I played as a starter, ended up becoming the captain of the team. And then after college, um, I joined the soccer team that traveled around the United States and, and in South Africa. And we basically used soccer as a way just to bring the community together, but then we'd you know, bring people food and clothes and we'd run these free camps and just try to encourage the people. And the one thing that I didn't realize when I had um, joined this soccer team down in, in South Africa, when I arrived, um, I was the only girl on the team. And I didn't know that. I mm -hmm. thought I was going down with on a girl's team. And the team was made up of semi-pro, professional and college players. And so we, we competed against these big, these you know, semi-pro and pro teams in South Africa is right around the time of the apartheid. So um, women had just been allowed to start playing soccer. And um, so to see this, this uh, white girl from America play on an all men's team, the crowd that would come out to our soccer games was just astounding. And, you know, we had these little player cards that you could pass out and sign your autograph and stuff like that. And it, there's just swarms of women that would come to these 
games that were just like in shock because I was scoring goals and, you know, keeping up with the men. And, um, you know, I was having so much fun out there. But these ladies would then watch me go into my locker room by myself. And then the rest of my team would go into the (laughs) men's locker room. And um, I realized like in during that time, I was like, wow, it's amazing how we can use a sport or something that we love so much for something that's greater And, you know, really for me, it was, I was given this opportunity to just encourage women and um, encourage people in the community. I was able to go into impoverished areas and just connect with people because I was a soccer player. And, you know, when I had, I had lost my mom, one of the, she was only 43 when she died. She was so young, uh, left behind five kids. But one of the things that I that really hit home with me. It was like, she can't take anything with her. Like she can't take mm. her house, her children. Like there's no accolades. There's like nothing like the greatest thing about her. And the greatest things that I can hold on to is how she made me felt when I was with her and those memories that I have of the time with her and the way that she encouraged me. And it really just really put my path my, uh, my, my life dreams on a different path. I no longer really had this strong desire to be a professional soccer player anymore. I wanted to do something that when I was gone, when it was my time to leave the earth, that I too would be like my mom, that I would change a life. And so, um, you know, I came home from that awesome experience with, um, with that soccer team in South Africa. And um, I had been gone for a while. And my husband now at the time, we had been dating for three years, immediately proposed to me, <laughs> said, don't ever leave again. It was really Aww. sweet, yeah. Um, and then we we went to China together and we we taught. And this is kind of where my, my running journey really began. So I was like 22, we got married really young and we taught English during the day. And we didn't realize until we got there, it was just like this six week trip. It was like a summer English camp in China. But we had to teach like 12 hours a day, six days a week. It was brutal. And so I would get up like at 5 a.m. and I'd run around the city. And I'd use running as a way to just kind of see the surrounding places around me. I've always been very curious. And so having long work days, I thought this will be my time. So 5 a.m. I'd watch the city come to life and it was amazing. We were in um, Tianjin and, you know, you'd see people preparing food on the street corner and people doing Tai Chi in the, in the parks. And um, it was, I loved it. I look forward to it every day, but I had never done that regularly where I just go out and run and I'd run for like an hour, an hour and a half. And I was always kind of in shape. So, um, you know, I could do that. So then when I got home, I was like, you know, I'm not on a soccer team anymore. I had just become a freshman English teacher. I'm going to train for a marathon. And everyone I told was like, seriously, like soccer, I'm soccer Sally, you know, like that that was like my life. And um, just the idea of training for a marathon was just not me. It was not what I did. So, um, but that, you know, was kind of a fueled my fire a bit. And I was like, Oh yeah, well I I am, I'm going to, I'm going to do one. So I signed up for LA marathon and finished in four and a half hours with bloody feet and blisters. (laughs) It was a terrible experience, but then I, um, I, I then said, I want to do it better. And I heard there's this race you can qualify for in Boston. So I'm going to try to qualify for Boston. So my second marathon, which is a year later, I qualified for Boston. And then my third marathon was Boston. And then I got pregnant. So I never really like, I didn't do 5Ks and 10Ks. I didn't, um, I never tried to like 
race marathons. I didn't have a coach. I just did it because I loved it. But the thing is, is that from the time I was like 14 years old up until this point when I was running marathons, I'd always been training and I'd always kind of had this very strong competitive edge in me. And, you know, I would train twice a day. That was just the way that I was. And, you know, there was always a little piece of me, um, you know, inside that, that still would kind of think about what it would be like to be a professional athlete. And, um, that was something that I had always been drawn to since I was a little, little girl. So, um, you know, after I had my daughter, I started reading about these ultra marathons and I thought that is crazy that people can run a hundred miles or 50 miles, or I had been reading a lot about hundred milers. I was like, I'm going to try that. Like I, I want to do that. So, um, a year later I had my son, my kids are just under 24 months apart. And when he was about 10 months old, I just started training to run my first 50 mile or I didn't even train for a 50 K. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't know if you want me to pause there. Uh, <laughs> I've kind of been talking for a long time if you want to interject or anything, but, um, that's kind of like the segue. That's the, the, that's the brief rundown of how that's Sally the, McRae started running, started running. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Well, you know, and I knew about your mom and yeah. whenever I hear, you know, when I know someone's lost a parent, I like to touch on that a little bit because, um, obviously it's a huge part of your life and you were so young. That's such a hard time in a little girl's life to lose her mom, you know, because mm-hmm. you were a little girl, you might've been a teenager, but that's, you know, now that we're in our mid thirties, oh, yeah. you're, you were a little girl. <laughs> yeah. 17 is still young. I mean, you, you still need your mama. I still need my mom. <laughs> I know. What, right? <laughs> what do you think about now though? Cause what are you 37? I'm actually 39. You're 39. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) What does that feel like for you though? I mean, you know, your mom had four more years left. I mean, that's, that's hard to think about. That's, oh man, that's a great question. I I actually was just texting with my, one of my best friends um, the other night and she was like, you know, I, there's a woman on Instagram that I'm following and she's dying and she has a 10 year old girl and she's asking for the advice of anybody who lost a mother when they were young. Cause she wants to write a letter to her daughter. Oh. She's like, we reach out, we reach out to her. So I looked at her Instagram and stuff and we started chatting about my mom and, um, I go, it's so crazy to think that my mom at this time in her life at 39, I do remember her at 39, the doctors told her you you will die of this. There is no chance. And we were, we never had health insurance. Like we didn't have that money, those funds. And so she was now like on Medicare, but it was like way too late. Um, and it was something that could have been prevented had she, you know, gone in for checkups. Um, so it was just super heartbreaking. And I, and I said, you know, my mom at 39 was given a death sentence and I at 39 and running up mountains all over the world. Mm. And we both like, just like started crying, but I was like, you know, in, in so many ways, like as parents and you know, I mean, your mama, four, four boys, like our, our greatest dreams is that our kids will have even greater dreams. They will do things that are greater than we could ever dream of and that their lives will be even more fulfilling, right? Like, you know, I, I don't want a dream to stop with me. I don't want the enthusiasm for life to stop with me. Like I want it to continue on with my kids and I want to do everything I can to 
to lift them up, you know? And so I think about my mom and she had a few very broken dreams and she kind of had a rough marriage. I had a pretty rough dad, um, very disapproving dad that didn't like me growing up. So I think for her, it was, um, life was just hard. And for me, I, she we were so close with one another that I, I really found a lot of joy in being able to just to make her smile or being able to help her. And, you know, I look back now and I realize, um, you know, in some ways I'm living out her dreams and I'm living out, you know, many ways in which she encouraged me, like I'm doing that. And I feel like when I have the opportunity to encourage other people, whether it's like a post on Instagram or if I'm, you know, doing a speaking engagement, you know, I realize that so much of that confidence and just that um, desire to help people see how um, how meaningful their lives are is a really just like a direct message from from her. And you know, she did that for me. So it's um, yeah, it's something I'm I'm always grateful for. But I think when you lose a parent young, you it's also a great opportunity at a young age and you can either pick or choose which way to go, but you're, you're going to choose like, wow, I am now, I'm going to live every day because mm -hmm. life really is short and you, we're either going to choose to be warriors in that pain or we're going to like lift a fist to the world and become a victim and say, well, my life sucks and everyone owes me now because I lost my mom. And, um, and I didn't want to be that I wanted, I wanted to be different. So um, yeah, it was difficult, but I think that a lot of the passion and drive, you know, um, comes from realizing just how short our lives are, you know, having watched someone so precious to me die so young. Is your dad still alive? He is. He's not a part of my life. Okay. Um, yeah, it's, uh, that, and we had, we had talked a little about before, I mean, that, that's, um, I mean, before we started the podcast about topics, yeah, um, that's definitely, I don't ever mind talking about that, but it isn't, you know, he, um, yeah, he's just not a part of my life and it's really sad. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, I did a post last year at the end of the year and it was kind of like a, and it was like the hashtag is these gifts 2017. And really it's, 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 it's a sad post, but it's like, my tone is like, I'm not bitter and hateful toward him. If anything, I'm really sad for him because, you know, you have five kids and you're not part of any of their lives. You don't know my children. You don't, you weren't a part of anything because you chose to be so terrible to me. And, um, I went through a period where it's like, he's my dad. I need to do everything I can to get him in my life. And like, I'm going to forgive him even if he doesn't say sorry, like he's my dad. I love him. And, you know, it just came to a, a point in our relationship when I was pregnant with my son, we spent three days talking on the phone and, um, he would come with notes every day. <laughs> and basically his notes were just bringing up all these things about me that he didn't like about me. Oh. And a lot of them were from when I was a little, little girl, like seven, eight years old. It was really sad. And I realized, um, you know, this is, probably a really toxic thing. Um, but then, you know, I think what did it for me was just here, I was pregnant with my second child. And he's like, you know, one day when you actually become a parent, you'll understand. And I was like, wow, the one thing that I struggled with so much growing up was that my dad just never saw me for who I was. Like I was never seen by him. I was hurt so much by him. And here I am pregnant with my second child and he still does not see me. 
he doesn't even acknowledge the fact that I am a parent, you know? And so, um, you know, there's sometimes when it comes to toxic, painful relationships in our life, it isn't that we just run away, you know, and just, oh, I hate that person. I want my life anymore. It's like, I had to understand in that moment, like I will never be able to change him. That actually isn't my job to change him, but I can even if he doesn't ever ask for forgiveness or admit to anything that he did to hurt me, I can forgive him and I can, you know, really wish the best for him. I can love him and I can move on. And that just provided so much freedom for me because I needed to be the best mom possible. Anytime I ever got around him, like I was a mess for like two or three days and like my husband suffered, my kids would suffer because I was like a wreck. Like I, I would have like physical reactions to just being around him and I was stressed out and, um, it just wasn't healthy. And so, um, you know, it's, it's unfortunate. I don't have parents in my life and I, I definitely have, you know, there's seasons like the birth of my children where it's, that's depressing, you know, it's like you long for your mom. And, um, but at the same time, I, I've also been given a lot of wonderful people in my life and, um, my husband is a wonderful man and his family is wonderful. And so, you know, I'm grateful for that because I know that's a lot more than, than other people can say that they have. And, you know, and I have great friends. So, um, you know, family's hard. And I know a lot of people listening are probably nodding their heads saying, yeah, we all have our stuff. Right. And, um, you know, stuff that we have to have to work through. But, um, I've learned over the years that, um, forgiveness is powerful. It gives you freedom and, um, you can never love someone enough, no matter how much they've hurt you, but they, my, my dad no longer has a voice or an opinion in my life. So that whole topic brings up something I wanted to talk to you about. And that's that you talk about joyful parenting. You talk about, um, how your kids are your greatest gift and, Mm -hmm. You know, man, I am coming off a really hard day with my kids. Like, you have four boys. You are <laughs> amazing. Thank you. And and they're all really little Thank right you. now. And, yeah. you know, like I honestly just really vulnerable right here. I have been in tears a lot of the days, mm-hmm. a lot of the day today. And so yeah. I've yelled a lot. I've screamed. Yeah. I've done things I'm not proud of. And I look at you and I know that you are totally transparent, but you, you're a happy person and you, I know you're parenting your kids with a lot of happiness in your heart. And there are so many happy moments too, but man, some of this is hard. It's hard. And I know you haven't, you know, your kids are a little bit bigger now, so you're not in that toddler stage and that four-year-old, three-year-old temper tantrum stage anymore. But (laughs) what, what do you, you know, what do you say to someone like, you know, like me, that's, I'm just, I'm sitting here with a tear in my eye because I've had a hard day and now I'm talking to Sally McRae and she's the happiest person on the planet. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. If I was there at you, man, I'd, I'd love to give you just a big hug because first and foremost, you know, being a parent is so humbling, isn't it? It, um, whether we like it or not, it brings out all of our weaknesses. It brings out all the areas that we're selfish. Yeah. (laughs) It brings out, um, it just brings out everything and emotions that we didn't even know that we were capable of having. And, you know, I remember when my kids were little and I would have a hard day with them too. It, 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 it's, it's difficult trying to stay cool and patient all the time. Like that is 
literally impossible. Like <laughs> we are not perfect human beings. Right. But I remember after a hard day, like going in and checking on them, you know, cause that's what we do. We check on them several times while they're sleeping just to make sure they're breathing <laughs> or like they're still in their bed. Um, but I look at them sometimes and be like, how can I get so mad at you? You're so cute. Like, <laughs> you're like an angel, you know, and then they wake up the next morning and they are so happy to see you. Right. Like mama, like you can do no wrong. Like kids have this resilient, unconditional love that I wish that I had always. Like I, I love that about children. They have this ability to forgive and love and look over and uh, look over things that, that we dwell on so much. And so I think that's why, you know, I've always approached parenting as a gift because one, it's like, wow, it really shows me the areas of my life that I need to grow. Mm-hmm. But also like in my, my lowest points, even, even if it has nothing to do with my kids, like they have brought so much joy and balance and help, they help me realize what is most important in life. And, you know, I, you know, and I've, I've had opportunities to talk with, you know, groups of moms. And I think one thing I always try to tell moms is just, you have to remember that your family life, who you are as a mom is actually not supposed to look like anybody else because you have four unique little children, right? They're, they're like nobody else in the world and they all live under your roof and, you know, and you yourself are unique. And so there it's impossible to replicate that. And everybody, every mom has her own challenges, her own obstacles. You know, I have a friend who has two special needs kids. Like her day is completely opposite of mine. It will always be that way. Her frustrations and, you know, the time it takes to do things like her life is just different. And so I think when we start to embrace that, when we realize like I get to have these four unique kids, I get to have these children that no one else gets to parent um, it, it really helps us be a little bit more gracious with ourselves and just realizing, like, I don't care what is on social media, you know, all of these, um, you know, beautiful profiles of kids in beautiful clothes and nice family <laughs> portraits. And it's like, you know what, the reality is if we, um, and we have to remind ourselves this every single day. I mean, I think that's one, this is one of the greatest devastations, I think, just for human, for mankind is that we have to be reminded of just who we are and the reality that we are imperfect. And, and that's a hard thing to swallow because we, we want every day to be good and we want every day to feel good and we want to look good to everyone else every day. And that just isn't the way life is supposed to be. You know, it's messy and it's sad and it's frustrating and it's amazing and it's wonderful. And, you know, all those things, you need all those things for a full and fulfilling life, you know? So, you know, when it comes to, um, you know, the hard days, it's realizing, yeah, that's, that's one hard day. And you probably won't have a day that's going to exactly replicate what you had to go through today. You know, maybe tomorrow you'll have, you know, other challenges or maybe tomorrow is going to be so awesome, but it's just realizing that even in your hard days, there's a lot to be thankful for. And, you know, you get an opportunity to get back on the saddle again. But, um, you know, Lindsay, just a a personal touch, just directly to you. I mean, you, uh, being a mom of four children, my mom had five kids. I, I look back now and I'm just like, 
oh my gosh, <laughs> like her whole life and her, all of us were very, very close in age to like 13 months and 21 Ooh. months, all of us, um, you know, and just realizing her entire life was focused on keeping us alive and making each day, you know, meaningful or special, whatever is a birthday or what, what, you know, getting us to school or making food. I mean, all the things that, that go into taking care of humans, it is, I commend you. I mean, it, it's not easy. And, you know, you're supposed to have frustrating days. You're human, right? Yeah. So um, just sending you a big virtual hug Thank right you. now. The, that's hard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's really hard. Hey, real quick, I want to jump in and thank a sponsor for this episode, and that is Generation UKN. You can deliver smarter energy powered by super starch. It's a steady and balanced energy without sugar or stimulants, no heart racing highs and no crashing lows, just feel good energy for the body and mind. And they do that with their revolutionary super starch, a patent naturally cooked non-GMO food starch that provides a slow release of complex carbs to steady your blood sugar, keeping you fueled and feeling good. I am a UCAN believer as long as so many other athletes out there, including Meb Kafleski. UCAN is used for performance for athletes, for sustained endurance. And you can also use it for daily energy as well, for steady, feel-good energy. They have bars and powders. They have pre-run mixes. They have post-run mixes. You guys have to check them out. I'm a big believer. Um, and you can save 15% off on UCAN products when you go to shopgenerationucan.com to save and just use that code ANOTHER to save 15% off your order. And when you support a sponsor of this show, you are directly supporting my podcast. So I thank you for that. And I thank Generation UCAN for getting on board again this year. This is our third year partnering with them. Um, and I so appreciate that. So that's shopgenerationucan.com to save and use the code ANOTHER to save 15%. I will put links to all that in the show notes as well. All right, guys, let's continue my conversation with Sally McRae. How do you start your day? I know you get up really early. You get up at like four and you, you know, do your workouts or whatever you do to start your day. But do you do anything intentionally in the morning to set the tone for the day as far as positivity? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I, I do get up early. I'll get up anywhere between three thirty and four. Um, and you know, as far as setting the tone, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty tired. I've been doing it for many years. It is still not easy to get up that early in the morning. Mm-hmm. So, um, I purposely chose a gym that's like 10, 10 minutes away so that I can wake up in the morning and just kind of have, um, just like that quiet, uninterrupted time where I'm waking up and thinking about what needs to be done for the day. But then I'm just like checking in. Um, I love to pray. So I usually drive to the gym listening to like worship music and just praying, you know, praying for my kids. Um, you know, just remembering it. It's so easy because especially as a parent, as you know, once your kids are up, your day goes a hundred miles an hour and, um, it isn't always like exciting stuff, but it's like, there's always something to be done or there's always an interruption. And I'd say that, um, especially in the past few years, as my kids have gotten older and just as I've taken on more responsibilities as an athlete, there's, I, I don't have any two days that are the same, but I, but I will say that every single day there's some surprise meeting, 
a, a request. Um, sometimes it's like, hey, we need you to fly up here in two days. Like I'm always changing my schedule. So 4 a.m. has kind of become like my only time for me. And it's just a really precious, um, quiet time. So I go to the gym and, um, you know, I, I typically just set myself up for my day. So I do a check-in with my body. Uh, you know, if I had a really hard workout before I'll spend the day before, then I might spend the first 30 minutes of the gym, just stretching and foam rolling. I'll ride the bike. Like I let myself kind of be lazy if, if I'm like really sore and if I'm really tired and I just allow myself to wake up, check in with my body without stress. Um, because the way that I'm wired, once I start training, I train really hard. I'm really focused. I love training. Um, and I put in a lot of long hours. So I think realizing like, okay, this first like 30 minutes of my day, you know, I'm going to pray. I'm going to listen to some really relaxing music and I'm going to check in see how the body's feeling, what needs to be worked on. And then it's, it's time to work. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's how the day starts. I usually am. I usually get home like at six fifty, about 10 minutes before the kids wake up. <clears throat> and then I, I get them up, I make them breakfast. Uh, that's a really like fun time in the morning with my kids. It's just like a really quick check-in with them. It's like five, 10 minutes, but I always make eggs and fruit and I have them sit down at the table. We talk about their day Sometimes they tell me what they dreamed about that night or, you know, it's just like it, I've, I've learned, especially the house that I grew up in, how important it is that my kids, um, feel seen and loved and comforted that they're well fed before they leave the house for the rest of the day. You know, it just gives them that little like boost of confidence and, um, just that reminder that, Hey, you're loved no matter what happens today. Like mom's here, you know? So, um, so I then send them off, uh, pack their lunches. They're usually gone by 7:45, and then, um, then it's the second part of my day begins, and that is all over the place. So sometimes that's meetings, um, it's business work, or I go straight to a recovery lab for about two hours because I'm really big on recovering, and I do like hyperbaric cryotherapy boots. Sometimes I'll take a nap there and then I'll go do my, my second workout, which is usually a run for the day. Um, and then I come back home, make a meal, quick shower, um, emails, work on social media, usually have some type of, of meetings or interview, whatever for that day. And then I try to get as much as possible, everything done by three o'clock because once my kids are home, I need to be uh, as present with them as I as I possibly can. The work doesn't stop, the emails don't stop, the film calls don't stop, and so it is. It's really tricky, um, you know, between three and eight how I how I run my day. But like I said, it's different every day. So I'm running kids to practice um, on Mondays. I do a recovery workout with my daughter. She's a runner too, and that's like our girl time. So that Monday is like really sacred. Um, we'll spend like an hour and a half together and it's just a really fun, easy workout and lots of talking. Um, yeah. And then most nights of the week I try to make dinner. Um, and again, it's just like that family, that family time around the table is so important and just getting the kids to talk and just 
you know, connecting as a family, no matter what it is or how short of the time, even if it's just 15 minutes. Um, and then I usually go to bed around the same time as the kids, which is between eight 30 and nine. So, um, you know, my husband and I, like we try to sneak in like little hour dates at least once a week, like here and there. So like yesterday, both kids had practice at the same time and we had like this hour and 15 minute window. So we like ran really quick out to dinner, you know, and it's, so that, you know, that's always like a challenge too. There's always, you know, I, I don't think I'll ever have a perfect balance schedule. I don't think we're supposed to really try to achieve that, but I do know that, um, you know, writing a to-do list every night, um, you know, being very purposeful with how I spend every hour, I'd say that every hour is kind of graphed out the night before, but I still, um, have always allowed myself like, Hey, if the school calls and Isaiah has a, a fever, like my whole day is, yeah. is now changed. Right. And I used to have frustration in that. Like when my kids were little and I was running my own fitness business and I was trying to train and I would cry. Like, I would just like, this is so frustrating. Like I can't do anything. Like I have all these goals and it's not going to happen. Like I'm sitting here breastfeeding and you know, <laughs> my daughter won't stay in her bed. She just transitioned out of a crib. Like it was just like, I felt like those younger years, it was constant frustration. And I had to one day before, like, I knew I was gonna like lose my mind. I just had to tell myself, like, it's okay. Like craft it the way that Sally would craft it. Like make your journey the way that you would make it. You know, I, I had other friends that were business owners and other friends that had kids. And it was like, I really admired a lot of them. Like, I'd be like, how the heck do you do this? Like, <laughs> but I, but again, kind of going back to what I was saying earlier, it was just, I realized I had to like do away with trying to be like her and her. I could, it's okay to be inspired and to get tips and advice. Like I need that always, like I'm always looking to grow and learn, but not everything is for me. And so what ended up happening and still happens now is I do a lot of work before the sun comes up. And when my kids were babies, I did a lot of work after everyone went to bed. So I would, many times I'd be up from 10 to one in the morning for years. That's kind of how I operated. And now it's the other way around. Now it's, you know, from 3.30 to seven, that's kind of like that really precious window. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of what a, what a, a day looks like. That's how I, I you know, as, as you asked earlier, that's how I start my day, um, but it could change. <laughs> it could change what, with drop a hat. What does your husband do? He's a teacher. Oh, He's an okay. elementary school teacher. Yeah. So when we when we first got married, um, we actually worked together. He was still getting his master's degree when I was an, a freshman English teacher, and he was a sub on campus. We've always done jobs together. We were soccer players together in, in college. It's where we met. And then we did, like, soccer camps together. And then we, um, we were, like, youth counselors at our church together. He's my best friend. So we just – we work really well together. We have a lot of fun. He's nothing – like me as far as personality goes, <laughs> which is probably why we do so well together. But he, um, you know, he doesn't have social media. He hates his, having his picture taken. He hates being in pictures. Um, he's a little bit more introverted and, um, but he's an incredible father, a huge supporter and, um, has just been there for me in 
my hardest and darkest times and, and in my best times. So yeah, he, he teaches, he did that for four years and then he was a, actually a youth pastor and a worship pastor for seven years at our church. And then, um, that kind of evolved into him working like 70, 80 hours a week. And we like never saw him and no. it was really hard. And we had, we actually had a couple really rough years because of that. And, um, he was like, I want to be here for my kids. I want to see my family. So he went back to teaching and now he has the same schedule as the kids. And, you know, he's at everything and it's really what, you know, really what he loves, what he loves doing. So, um, you know, we're, we're really grateful to have him around and he's, you know, whenever I have to travel or, um, if I'm racing, you know, he's always really supportive of that. And I'm really grateful for that. Cause I, you know, I talk to other wives and, and, you know, other uh, spouses that are like, yeah, my partner is not so supportive of what I'm doing. And it's like, oh, I so get it. But, um, you know, it, it took some hard conversations and some tough years for us to kind of get there too. But um, yeah, he's, he's a great guy. We've been together since I was 19. So. Oh, wow. That's really young. <laughs> well, yeah, you said you got married at 22. So yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> we were babies. It's funny when there's one person in the in the duo that does the social media thing because I don't my husband's not on either and people know about him because I talk about him a lot you know you you don't well you used to host didn't you used to do a co-host of the trail runner podcast yeah yeah Yeah. Runner nation yeah Mm -hmm. but you I mean you're you guys aren't talking about family stuff as much as I talk about like I pour my heart on my sleeve on this podcast so people really know about Glenn but it's (laughs) it's just an interesting balance when one person is, you know, it's kind of like, you know, that's part of your career is sharing your, your training and your, and your journey and your life. And everybody kind of knows he's back there supporting you, but I love hearing about the spouse. I love hearing about Mm -hmm. those pieces. And I always wondered what he did. I should have known that. No, you know, that not a lot of people ask about him, which is really funny because that is probably the way that he would want it. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. What's, I don't even know his name. What's his name? Eddie. Oh no, I did know that yeah, because Sally, Eddie, Eddie that was one. Eddie it was on our list of names. You know, we have four boys, so yeah. Oh my gosh, really? Yes, <laughs> it was on my list for our third and our fourth, and it never ended up making the cut. I love oh. names like that. Um, yeah, and Edward I actually James. Edward. James, yeah, and I actually rem- <laughs> think I do remember that I've seen you post that that's his name. So I love yeah. it. Yeah, he, I, I made a, um, not a lot of people know about it. I have a McRae tribe Instagram account. Oh, you um, do? And there's, yeah. And that's like all my family stuff. And then I actually like forced him last year. I was like, please at least get Facebook. Like I'm not <laughs> the biggest fan of Facebook, but all his family is on it. Like even his aunts and uncles that are like twice his age. And like, yes, I'm like, they're, they're on there all the time, babe. Like they're traveling, they're doing sports and like all your college buddies are on there. You don't need to post anything. Just go on there to see and keep up. Like, cause he's not the kind of guy that, that will even call his buddies to like get together. Yeah. Like if I don't do all the social planning, yes. like, he, he's good. Like he's such a homebody. Like, he's so happy at home. He's so happy just being with his family. Like he's really close to his family. And I'm always like, dude, like <laughs> you need to get together with your bros. Sometimes go play golf, like go watch <laughs> the game or like, so it took a lot. He finally got on Facebook. Um, but I also did this McCray tribe too. Cause some people will ask like, 
because my yellow runner profile, it is very much, it's, it's a very, a very specific niche. Like it's sure. very much yeah. geared toward my training and me as an athlete. Every now and then I'll post like something on my kids, but a lot of my posts for my family is my private, is my Facebook, um, Sally McRae profile and then the McRae tribe. And then my kids have their own Instagram. So, um, you know, so I, I just, I've never blended that in, but it's also hard for me to get him to take a picture or for me to post something, you know, he's just, he's so funny. So, <laughs> but he's a great guy. When we make plans with our friends, like our couple friends, I'm yeah. always the planner. Yes. Yes. And he, you know, if it were up to him, he would say, uh, yeah, I just want to go out to dinner with you. You know, and I'm like, we need to be around our friends too. <laughs> yes. That is totally my husband. <laughs> okay. So let's get to running a little bit. Mm-hmm. Anybody that follows you, Sally, knows that you are an ultra runner. Um, you just did Badwater 135, the Badwater 135. Um, yes. And we have so many running experiences we could talk about, but let's let's start there because this was the first year you had ever done that race. Yeah. So right. talk to me about why you decided to sign up for it and give us just like a little rundown of the experience because I know it was real hard. Yeah. <laughs> well, first and foremost, that is the first road ultra I've ever done. Uh, I typically don't race on the road. I typically don't choose flat and fast courses. I like to do things that are hard. I like to really challenge myself. I mean, that's just kind of the way that I tick is like, what, what am I capable of? Like, what can the human body do? What can we endure? Um, I love just that, that, the ability to really practice mental toughness, um, being able to separate from your physical, you know, no matter how, pain, how much pain you're in, how tough is your mind. And so, you know, to do bad water, it kind of drew me in for those reasons. It wasn't, um, you know, I, I know it's coined as the toughest foot race on the planet. And um, it had been on my radar on and off for about four or five years. And I had accrued and paced my really good friend, Josh Spector in 2014. And after, after I did the race, I was like, ah, I still don't know if I would, if I would do that. Like it was awesome. One of the greatest deterrents was just how expensive it is. And that, you know, as a whole, it still is a little frustrating because I think, I think that we would probably see a different type of race and we'd see a different field if the race wasn't so expensive. Okay, how expensive is it? So the registration alone is $1,500. What? Yeah, I had two sponsors. I did not know that. Yeah, because there's no, like, there's no way Yeah. that I, and especially now, like, the way that I think and budget, I mean, I have some great sponsors. I'm able to run full-time. Um, you know, that's, that is my, my livelihood and, you know, but my husband's a teacher and I live in Southern California, so yeah. I, I'm not rolling deep here. <laughs> um, you know, and I'm not an NBA player. So trail runners as a whole, when we talk about being professionals, we have to work really hard to, you know, get the paychecks that we do have. And still there's just, there's not millions and millions to be made out there. So, you know, when I choose races that require, you know, a lot of money, I have to be really thoughtful about how I plan the rest of my year. Um, 
you know, I, some of my, my sponsors give me different allotments for travel and racing and lodging and food. And, um, you know, and then I, I, I just need to be really strategic. So that was one of the deterrents was, do I really want to fork out? I think at the end, everything that I paid for that race, I want to say was like $6,000. Wow. Cause yeah, cause you've got crew. Yeah. And you pay for everything. Yeah. So you're out there for four days and you're paying all the hotel fees. You're paying all the meals. You're paying to rent that van. You're paying for all the gas. Yeah. I, it's, it just stacks up and, you know, and then all the little things that went along with it, like all the specialized gear that you have, that you have to have and the trips out to the desert and the different things that I did in order to heat train and, you know, just very specific training. Like it just adds up. So um, so this was the year I got two great sponsors on board. Liquid IV was one of them. I talked about Liquid IV quite a bit going through. They are an incredible brand. Um, and then, you know, of course, Nike, um, great supporters of me doing a, doing that race. And I wanted to, you know, I, I finally started dreaming of it last, like around this time last year. This is a, the time when all the races start inviting athletes to come. So already I have for 2019, like seven races, um, that I have been invited to that I have to go through. So this time last year, I was looking at races going through, okay, what is my year going to be like? What's going to be my a race. And for whatever reason, I knew I was going to race Tarawara 100 in New Zealand, but I started thinking about bad water and I was like, why is this keep on popping up? And I kind of push it aside and I would go on training runs and I would be like envisioning bad water. And then I went on YouTube and I started watching all the bad water YouTubes and started reading reports. And this is, I kind of get super geeky when it comes to stuff that I, that I'm interested in. I start doing crazy research. So I spent a lot of time just researching it and really learning more and more about it. And I thought, you know what? I know um, there's an application process. You have to run um, all these really hard races to even be considered. You know, you need to have crude and pace to be even better considered. So I was like, well, I might not get in, but I'm, I'm going to put in for it. So I put in, and the day that they were going to announce who got in the race, I was literally in the middle of racing Tower 100 in New Zealand. Which you won which I won, but I got back to my hotel room after being pulverized, because it was a storm. Like I was pulverized in that <laughs> race. Like I, I ran in mud up to my, up to my ankles for like 40 miles oh. of that thing. It was, it was insane. And um, I'm so wrecked getting back to my hotel room. And I'm seeing all these messages, you know, pop up. And some of them are like, you know, congratulations, Tarwara. But then all these people are like, you got into bad water. And I'm like, this is the worst way to tell me I got into bad water. Like, I'm so wrecked. Like, I don't want to think about running a mile right now, let alone running that race. So, um, but, you know, I'll say I genuinely was very excited to run it. I had this very raw um, enthusiasm for it. And I, I, you know, and I've always said, just even as a coach, um, you can do anything if you are enthusiastic about it if you have that enthusiasm and that joy and, I, and I'm not talking about yeah you're gonna have hard days but like if you generally are passionate and excited to do it um it's gonna make the journey so much better and so much more attainable and I was I I loved that um 
I, I really do consider myself, and I even put it in my profiles, I'm a mountain runner. You know, I, I like big, huge mountains. I like all day in the mountains. I like things that are rugged and hard. Um, so this was very different. It was 135 miles on road. And um, so, you know, starting in March, um, everything was road. And uh, it just changed my training. My coach trained everything about my training. Uh, my body changed. My, uh, you know, I, I got faster. I was fitter. I just did, it did a lot of really positive things for me that I feel like is important to do no matter what it is that we're doing in life. You know, so whether you're like you're a teacher or a parent or, you know, what, whatever job you have. Um, or a goal you're working towards. My goal every year is to do something different. And that is another reason why I chose Badwater. I was like, I need to change my training. I want to be a better athlete. I need to be more well-rounded. I don't think anything could challenge me more than doing this because I have to get on the road and I have to get heat acclimated and um, this is going to be hard. So um, yeah, that's kind of how, how I jumped into that. Everybody go listen to Sally's recap. You did a recap on that. Was it on the Trail Runner Nation podcast? Uh, Ginger Runner. Ginger Runner. Yes. Go listen to that and you'll get the full rundown of the entire experience. I listened to it before this episode and it's really good. This is how I prep for my interviews. I listen to people (laughs) like you on other podcasts, but... But I mean, there you're talking to, you were talking to, um, what's his name? What's Ginger Runner? Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, Ethan. Ethan. You're talking yeah. to Ethan and you guys really get into the conversation about it a little bit and mm-hmm. man, just go listen to it. Everybody go to Ginger Runner and listen. I think to- I start crying on that one. I was not expecting that. I was so raw. It was like a week after. Yeah. It's pretty raw. It's good, but it gives <laughs> you, it gives everybody a really deep look at Badwater too. And, yeah. and, and I loved hearing you talk about crewing and then going and experiencing it for yourself. Now, mm. Mario Fraioli, that's your coach. Yes. He's awesome. How long has he been coaching you? Uh, two years now. Wait, is it two years now? Hmm. Year and a half. Okay. So how did that relationship yeah. start? You know, it's really funny. Like I remember reading Mario's articles. Yeah. When he was one of the editors for Competitor magazine, um, online and and the actual magazine. Like, and I always enjoyed uh, what he had to say. And I took a lot of, um, you know, uh, just a lot of his advice and applied it to my training or just you know. Just logical stuff. He's he's definitely like a running nerd, but I love that. Yeah. Like I love running nerds. I love nerdy stuff. Like anybody that nerds out on what they do, I'm like so jazzed. Like uh-huh. I love being around people like that. I don't care if you geek out on basket weaving or tennis. Like I just, there's something. So his enthusiasm for running, you could tell he really loved it. He knew a lot. Um, and I followed him for so long. And then I learned, how did I learn that he was a coach? So it was one of those things where I was like, I didn't realize he was coaching, like online coaching. And so when I found out um, at that time, I was being coached by Ann Trayson. And that was those, the years that I was running Western States. So I did Western States for three years and, and Ann was coaching. I would go up and stay with her on weekends to train on the course and, um, once, once we, um, ended that coaching relationship, I went for almost a year without a coach, but during that whole year, I always wanted 
um, Mario to be my coach. And I go back and forth with it. And I knew that he was coaching like some pretty stellar athletes. And so just out of the blue one day, I, I sent him an email and I was like, Hey, your roster is highly likely already full. Um, but if there's a spot, if you could slip me in, like I promise I'm low maintenance. And especially cause I'm a coach <laughs> myself. Like I understand all the workouts. Just tell me what to do. I'll do it. You know, that I was trying to be like, if I'm super low maintenance, then maybe you'll take me on. So we had a conversation. He's like, yeah, I do have a full roster, but I would love to coach you. And yeah, that, that's kind of how all that happened. But he's, he's amazing. He's such a great coach and he knows how to talk to me. And that's really what makes a great coach. It isn't like anyone can write a program, yeah. but you need a coach that knows how to communicate with you directly and um, is going to say things that you need to hear and not what you want to hear. And um, so it's, it's just a really good, a good relationship. It's funny to hear you say that your roster's probably full and like not know that he wants to take you because I think, I think if there's any coach out there would be stoked to take you on as an athlete. Oh, thank you, Lindsay. Seriously. No, Western States. Uh, Yeah. You were seventh place in 2016, right? Yeah. Or in 2015, 2016 was my heartbreak year. I was 11. Yeah. It was like the worst day ever. Yeah. And everybody knows the top 10 at Western States is like a big deal. It's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really big deal. Um, yeah, I, I made a lot of mistakes that I, you know, I ultimately had to take responsibility for and, um, and I, I really suffered. I don't think I, I remember we had to drive home as a family from that race. Yeah. 2016. I just remember, crying like so hard in the car and my kid, both my kids were in the back and, um, and my son at one has said like here and there, he's like, mom, we never see you cry. And I just see his little face. He's just like, like, whoa, mom's crying so hard. And both my kids, their little tiny hands come over the back of my seat and they come over onto my shoulders and they're just like, mom, it's okay. We love you, mommy. It's okay. You know? And I remember just, I always cherish that moment because I think that they, it was good for them to see because they had seen me train so hard and sacrificing time away from them to train so hard. And that this was a, you know, a dream. I really thought that I was, I was going to be in the top three. I mean, I, I, all my times, like I did a lot of secret training and, and was having me do some of the most painful workouts I'd ever done in my life. And I was fast and I was fit and I was so ready to just have an amazing day. And, um, and it just completely fell apart. So for my kids to see all that, um, you know, and, and just to, to be there to, to comfort me and to experience that as a whole, uh, you know, it, it was pretty incredible and I'm really thankful to, you know, to have them there, but yeah, I love Western States and people ask all the time because I have that film Western time, you know, that Billy Yang made, mm-hmm. um, people kind of, uh, parallel me with that race. And so they're always like, well, why aren't you here? <laughs> yeah. Like, you're Western time. You're supposed to be here every year. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know, maybe one year I'll go back, but, um, I'm having so much fun traveling and racing around the world. It is, uh, this is a true dream of mine to be able to to do this and the opportunities that are given to me. I just don't want to pass up. And that was like 
one of the best pieces of advice that Ann Trayson gave me because she ran that race um, 16 times or four, four, she won it 14 times. I think she wow. ran it 16 times. Um, and she had said, if there is anything I wish I, I, you know, that I wish I would have done is that I wish I would have taken more of those opportunities to travel and do other races. Um, you know, cause once they're gone, they're yeah. gone, you know? So you crewed Lucy Bartholomew though this year, didn't you? <laughs> I did. How I was did. that? She got second? Was- second? Uh, she got third, second or third. Okay. Third. Yeah, She got third place. Yeah. How oh, I had to pause her for a second. It was fun. Lucy, uh, she is an incredible athlete and, you know, really went in fearless. Um, you know, she's, she's the kind of girl, she's very confident and, you know, she's the kind of girl she'll ask, you know, give me your advice. Tell me what your best, you know, what's the best thing that I should know about Western States. And she'll ask a lot of people that, you know, but Lucy's really good about, okay, this is all good stuff. I'm, I'm going to do what, what I know works best for me. So, you know, coming to the aid stations and stuff, you'd hear like, you know, everyone like, Oh my gosh, she's doing this wrong. And she, she, oh, she's going too fast. She know what she's doing. And in my mind, I'm like, yeah, but that's, what's so great about Lucy, yeah. you know, like we need more people. People like that. It's like a Zach Miller. I don't know mm-hmm. if you're familiar with I love Zach Miller, but like people sometimes will say that about him. Well, he just goes out too hard. It's like, no, it's like pre-Fontaine, man. Like it's like all or nothing, yes. like no guts, no glory, like full passion runner. And like, I love, I love watching that, you know, it, it isn't the style of everyone and it isn't for everybody. You know, it's, it's amazing to see people like, um, Mo Farah, for example, I mean, yes. that guy sits duck in the middle of the pack, right? And then decimates everyone in the end. So it's like, you got to race to your strength. And Lucy absolutely does that. She stays true to herself and she trains very, very, very hard. She's very young. And so she gets to do this full time, just kind of travels all over the world. She has her, her dad is incredibly supportive. So it's really uh, been exciting for me to, to see this younger generation of runners coming in. You got people like Kelly Wolf and Cody Reed and um, Keely Henninger. They're all very young 20s and they're breaking course records right and left. They're raising the bar. They're training hard. And, um, you know, it's it's really exciting to see the sport, the, just the bar being raised and exciting to know that this sport is going to look very different in the next decade. So, um, yeah, tra- crewing her was was awesome. And she'll be back. You know, you'll see her again on that start line next year. Yeah. And so when you say it's going to look a lot different, mm-hmm. are you are you saying that because there's such a deeper field and people are getting a lot more competitive as time goes on? Yeah, I think that, well, the, the sport as a whole has has grown exponentially in just the last four years. Yeah. And so trail running, you're, you're talking about the trail ultra yeah, distance just, running, just trail ultra distance. And I think that, um, part of the reason is because we've been gifted with some big brands coming in and yeah. saying, Hey, we, we see you, we respect you and we're going to take care of you. Now, when you, when you have road runners working their tail off and they're not getting anywhere, and they're not being recognized and they're not getting the, the sponsorships and they're not, but yet they step on into the trail scene and they are immediately fast top of the pack and they're winning races and they're getting paychecks and brands are contacting for that. 
Well, that that's changed the, the face of our sport because of that, because there's more opportunities now for very gifted, hardworking runners that are on the road or are from different distances now on the trail. And, you know, we have more brands coming in that are taking it seriously. But um, just overall, we're seeing more races come out on the maps. You know, we're seeing uh, younger ages, you know, for a while, ultra running. I know when I started in 2010, I was always one of the youngest at the start line. I was like, what is this? Like, <laughs> there is a lot of, you know, the, the median age was like in the forties. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's not like that anymore. And so, you know, now we have younger people that are wanting to step into the sport and, you know, run a hundred miles at 20. I do, um, consulting like coach consulting. It's like this two hour thing. And I'll, I'll it's basically just talking to people about their goals and helping them come up with a pathway um, a lot of times it's people that are in a rut or just need motivation or whatever, um, or are ha- need help with planning out their future if they want to be a competitive athlete. And I talked to this one girl that was 17 years old, no, wow. 16. She's already run 200 mile races oh and she has all these dreams. Like, she's like, I want to be a professional trial runner. Like, that's all I want to do. And I was like, wow, it's crazy. Cause usually like girls and boys that are in college runners, like our high school runners, they're looking at college, right? And they're looking at, you know, what am I going to do in college? And then what is there for me after college? But now it's like they're in high school and they're like, I want to be a professional trail runner and I want to do it as fast as I can right now. So, um, it's exciting. You know, it's, I, I think it's, it's exciting to see, but I would also like to see more structure and more guidance, uh, for the youth. There's not a lot out there that helps them navigate the best way to approach a sport, especially if they do want to be competitive. And, um, you know, that, and that's unfortunate because what we are also seeing is a lot of injuries and burnout and overtraining and just not really understanding how to navigate it. Because you follow our sport on social media and it looks like everyone's racing every weekend, you know, and it's like, <laughs> it's so easy to get caught up in it. But, um, but yeah, I, I love where the sport is 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 heading right now, and who knows, maybe it'll be in the Olympics one day. You're still competing at a very high level, but you are also, you know, you mentioned you're 39, and mm-hmm. you're doing you're doing these co- coaching consultations, and so you're also kind of like into this mentorship role, and you're going to continue to be in that as you enter your 40s and you know mid 40s, late 40s. So so how does that? What will that transition look like for your life? Man, that that has been the ongoing conversation uh, with my husband for the last sure. year. Yeah, um, because th- there's two sides of it. You know, right now, um, and when people ask what it is that I do outside of um, running, it's it's sometimes difficult to explain because um, I. I do a lot of contracting and consulting for many different things. So like Nike will hire me to work on a commercial or a photo shoot as the run tech. So I work with like the models and the talent and the producers and the directors all behind the scenes. And I love that. Like, it's so much fun for me. Um, But then like I've done this many times, I might go up to Nike and, and, you know, do a speaking engagement or I'm put on a panel. uh, Like I have one coming up. If it's with a bunch of innovators and they need uh, their questions answered about um, I did one where it was like extreme weather athletes. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I, I race in both extremes and they have just you spend two days 
talking to all these people, trying to help them with gear and, and new ideas and what athletes need and a uh, real life, um, you know, events, like what these things look like. So I, th- those are constant all year. I'm always doing that. Um, the other thing I do is I'm on the Nike app. I'm a, one of the audio, you can go into the audio guided runs and I'm one of the coaches in there. So like next week I'll be in the recording studio recording that. And sometimes I do a private event coaching as well. Uh, and then I, yeah, I do these, these consulting. Um, I also I typically like am a spokesperson or ambassador for races. So like the OC marathon coming up in May, um, I'll be the spokesperson and ambassador for that. And I do clinics, I do trail running camps. Um, so it's, and I'm writing a book, um, and, and racing. So I, I have, I work seven days a week, about 14 hours a day trying to manage all of this stuff. And I've asked my husband many times, I'm like, listen, (laughs) in order to do something great, um, you know, it's, it's really hard to do a lot of things great. You know, when it just comes down to it, you can't be great at a ton of things and I'm either going to break, um, you know, or this isn't going to end well. (laughs) So, you know, we've, we've had those conversations of, I need to choose the other side of all of it is that I've always instilled in my kids um, the importance of setting goals for their lives and realizing that, um, you know, working toward a dream, working toward a goal, it takes focus and dedication and that I and, and Eddie are there for them for whatever it is they want to do. And, and the sky's the limit. So um, and my kids do have big dreams for themselves. And that's an ongoing conversation in our house is, you know, what can we do to better ourselves and what can we do? And we don't put pressure on them like, hey, you need to be training. It's not anything like that. It's um, I've actually had to pull back the reins, especially on my daughter, because she's a runner as well. But I've told um, my husband, I'm like, I, I want to definitely there's there's going to come a time very soon where I want to transition where I am you know, I'm helping my kids day in and day out with these things. So whether that's training them or, you know, just navigating things for them, I'm still able to go to a lot of their practices and games, but there are times throughout the year where I miss those things. And it's, it's hard. The older they get it, it's actually harder. So, um, so right now I'm, I'm not sure what it is, what I want to do. Um, or actually I'm not sure when my racing career will end. I'll definitely be 2019, I will be, be racing, um, pretty hard in 2019. I have some big goals for myself, but, you know, finishing up this book, um, and, and speaking, I, that really has been a passion of mine since I was very young. And, you know, I've traveled around the world speaking for the last 15, 20 years, um, sharing my story and, in places, uh, all over the place with people of all walks of life. And I think that, um, I want to do something that will stay true to who I am. And I just, I love any opportunity that I have uh, that I, that I can have to just encourage and and love on people. And, um, you know, that's a really big deal to me. So, you know, that's the focus of this book. Uh, That's the focus of my social media. Uh, When I travel, when I, so many times I travel a lot for races because I just want to be around uh, other people. And many times races will bring me in and they want me to speak or go to an event. And I'm like, oh, this is just my opportunity to connect. And so it's really, uh, you know, I say this often, I want to use running 
as a platform just to, to love people and to, and to reach people and, um, you know, just kind of carry that on. So your book was one of my, my talking points that I wanted to talk on, but so I'm glad you brought it up, but what, what's the deal with it? Do you have a publisher? When do you plan to release it? What's, what's going on? Yeah, I have a publisher. Everything's due in December. Um, So about, you know, I I was really hoping to be done with it in July, but that was the month that I was running Badwater. And we just, you know, after chatting, we're like, um, that's probably the worst time ever to have to turn in my entire book. That that training was insanely hard. And um, yeah, it took up a lot more of my time than I than I actually thought it would. So so yeah, I have a publisher turning in the book in December. I'm hoping that the editing process that will actually be able to, to do that quickly so that it is able to release in early 2019. Um, but the one thing with this book is that I did not want to have a ghostwriter. I didn't want anybody to help me write it. I didn't want, um, that's always been my dream since a little girl. And I do love writing. Um, and it, it comes easy for me. So that was a really big deal. I've, I've had several people reach out and even my editor, my publisher was like, we have people that can come and we can, we can get this done a lot quicker, Sally, <laughs> if you just let us write it for you. And I'm like, I, this is like from my heart. And, um, so I, I don't want someone else writing it for me, maybe other projects. And I know that's what a lot of people do, but I just, I'm really taking my time on it and, um, I'm excited about it. So hopefully, you know, we'll get it. We'll get a couple people interested in it. <laughs> yeah. Anytime I read a book by like a famous person or whatever, I'm always like, are those really your words? No, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> and, they it make, time. <laughs> and it makes it not as exciting. Even like, you know, and I don't know, maybe these are her words, but even like a Tina Fey bossy pants or, yeah. you know, a book like that, I'm like, but how much of this did you write? Like, I'm I sure know. you wrote like the jokes and stuff, but yeah, they have brilliant people. So the way they do it is like, you, you know, you, you can spend up to a month with like a ghostwriter, right? Like they're hanging out with you. They're having constant conversations with you, or it could be just be a couple afternoons, but they record everything and they get to know you. They get to know your diction, um, your style, your vibe, your tone, like all that. And they are able to just craft that in. Um, yeah. You know, and depending on the genre of book too, you know, you look at like some of the motivational, inspirational entrepreneur type books. So much of that is just from their talks, you know, someone transcribed some of their talks or just like posts or whatever. And they just kind of smash it all together. And I was like, I don't, you know, and when I was first approached, um, actually by this publishing company, they're like, you could literally just take your Instagram and we could publish it. Sure. People tell me that all the time. They're like, I printed this up. This is hanging on my office or, you know, I screenshot it. And I've at times they'll contact me be like, stop giving away your content, Sally. <laughs> like, but that's just like, I, I want to, you know, I know that people are going to use it and print it and probably rewrite it or use it for themselves. But at the end of the day, um, if more people see it because of that, awesome. Cause that's really all I care about. Um, you know, but you know, I, I do, I, I need to buckle down and just get it in, you know, into the book. So it's been fun working on it. And my husband and some other people have been so gracious to read over some of the chapters and, um, give me feedback. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I will be very excited to finally I turn bet. in the entire, the entire work. Cause it's, it is a lot of work. <laughs> do you have a name yet? 
I have two names, but for not released. It, but not released. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> well, I've read several of your blog posts. I mean, I mean, when you used to write blogs, I guess. Yeah. Um, you know, bl- Instagram has turned into what blogging was. Yeah, um, totally. But I've read a lot of your stuff, and you are a really good writer. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I really appreciate that. And I mean it too. Like I'm, you know, a lot of times when someone writes a super long post, I'll skim it, but I, I read your post. So oh, thank you so much. That it's, means a lot to me. <laughs> well, I'm going to wrap this up with some end of the podcast questions. Okay. And for those of you listening who wanted to hear more about ultra running, Sally and I can do this again and talk about more of her races, <laughs> but we're at an hour 22 already. So <laughs> sorry. No, <laughs> everybody's going to love this so much. Uh, well, thank you everyone listening for listening, tuning in and for your patience. I know sometimes I can talk a lot. <laughs> no, it's been wonderful. <laughs> and we'll do more running talk at another time. And maybe we can do like a Facebook live or something where we talk specifically about, you know, like uh, the North face 50 that you're about to do or something like that. Yeah. Or one of your 2019 goals, you know, you said you like to do something new and scary every year. So I want to know yeah. <laughs> what that 2019 thing will be. But if you had one message to send to the world, what would it be? That you belong. Oh man, that you matter. Who you are matters. Your dreams matter. I mean that, I think that's this the continual message is, uh, I always use the hashtag you got this. Yes. So, um, you know, it's just all you are and who you're created to be is so unique and so beautiful. And there's only one of you. And, um, so don't deny that. And so, uh, be brave. You got this. this. (laughs) Yeah. What's one thing professionally or personally that you'd like to do that you haven't done yet besides write a book? (laughs) <laughs> I'm just going to say, publish my book. Um, I, I've always wanted to do a Ted talk. Oh yes. You'd be, I would, you'd be awesome. I have no idea how to get in or how to do it, but like that is Speak a it. Big, big thing on my, on my bucket list. Yeah. Is, is a Ted talk. You need to write a really good Instagram post about how you want to do a Ted talk and tag them. And tag. <laughs> and you know, I mean, just like, you know, we'll, we'll get it out there. You're, you will definitely do a Ted talk. <laughs> Thank you. That'll be good. I just think about how much research and how much time and preparation goes into doing a Ted talk that, you know, that like 18 minutes of perfection. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. They make it look all calm and relaxed, right? When they're up there, it's so good. It's like, yes, it's a ton of work. Yeah. It's like, I know how hard you've worked on this. Um, <laughs> Sally, what's the best, most recent book you've read? Ooh, uh, Chase the Lion. Ooh. Okay. Who's that by? That is by, um, uh, Batterson. Okay. Um, Mark Batterson. It's a New York times bestselling author. Uh, the, the tagline is if your dream doesn't scare you, it's too small. Oh, that's good. And it was a good book. Highly recommend it. Okay. I'll add it on my list. And if you could have coffee or cocktail with someone fun, or motivating or inspiring that you haven't yet, who would it be? Hmm. You. Oh, me. That's so fun. I would, I would love that. I and love we could that. talk about kids and we could talk about running and all the amazing people that you've been able to interview in the past. I mean, I think that's a, the cool thing about what you do. You have like amazing stories and, um, but then you also take this opportunity to, 
you're able to connect with people all over the world because of what you do. So I, I would love that, Lindsay. And did I just hear one of your boys? Well, yeah, you guys say hi. 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 <laughs> Glenn, Glenn took them all out to dinner for our conversation, and he's like, your Aww. time's up, Lindsay. And now two of them are in the room with me now. <laughs> I love it. My they all came in. He's like, time's up. We I just took four boys to dinner. Say hi, Russell. Hi. Hi. Oh, sweet little voice. Well, Sally, thank you so much for your time and sharing your story and your passion and your heart. And I know I can just tell that you're speaking so genuinely. So I really appreciate it. Absolutely, Lindsay. And thank you for your time. And I hope the rest of your night goes well. You're an awesome mama. You really are. You're a great mom, Lindsay. Thank you so much. Keep going. Okay. (laughs) One day at a time. No other choice, right? (laughs) (laughs) yeah thanks Sally have a great night you too bye-bye all right everybody thanks so much for joining us today thanks Sally for coming on the show and sharing your story and being such a kind and caring guest I loved talking to you I feel like we've been friends forever I'm so glad we finally made this happen you guys can follow Sally on any of her social media platforms or the yellow runner and you can find me on Instagram. I'm Lindsay Hine 626 Twitter, Lindsay Hine. And find us on Facebook. Join our group. I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hine. And I want to thank Generation UCAN for coming on board again. That's shopgenerationucan.com. And use the promo code ANOTHER to save 15%. And go ahead and get your meals prepped, guys. Go to prepdish.com slash ANOTHER. Use the code ANOTHER for a free two-week trial over there. And I want to let you guys know if you are coming to Indianapolis anytime soon, we have a cute, cute, cute Airbnb in our carriage house here. We live in Midtown in between downtown and Broderpool, and it's just a really nice place, central place to stay in the city. So I'll put a link to that. I said I was going to last week and I forgot to put the link to it in the show notes. I guess I could still go at it. Um, but yeah, if you're coming to the city and yes, Monumental Weekend is already sold out. So I'm really sorry about that. I know that's a big weekend for people coming to town, but um, any other reason you're coming, come check us out. Stay at our Airbnb. We promise to provide all the best coffee and goodies in our in our cute little place. All right, guys, you have a wonderful rest of your Friday. Have a great weekend, and as always, I'll see you next Friday. <laughs>